Okay, then. Today with our special guest, we're going to be discussing contraceptives as we watch our culture stray further. What you believe about God dictates how you will think. Our philosophies dictate how our culture behaves. Politics is simply the enforcement of cultural norms. The truth claims about God, philosophy, culture, and policies will affect what we value. When these things are in alignment, revival is possible. Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the Christian lens. However, today, once again, we are joined by a uh, audience favorite, Dr. Flower. How are you this morning? Doing well. Glad to have you on. It's fun to be here. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting topic today. Um, but going around the room, I just want to introduce everyone, and then let's get into the nitty-gritty. We have a full studio this morning. Uh, in the chair of theology, we have Miss Nikki this morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Dealing good. with the reason why we believe what we believe, the Bible itself today. Looking forward to it. To her left, we got Josh. Hello. Good morning. And, and I want to redeem myself real quick. Good morning, Dr. Flower. If you noticed, I didn't put an S on the end of that. <laughs> Excellent. There's only Excellent. one, but there needs to be more. <laughs> there you go. There's only one Dr. Flower, but if we could clone her, well, that'd be some other ethical issues, but maybe we'll talk about that in a different podcast. Moving over to his left, we have Melissa. How are you? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. Glad to have you on in the chair of culture, Josh in the chair of philosophy. And then, of course, we got Dr. Flower sitting here in our guest chair and uh, glad to have you there. And to her left, we've got Mr. Steve. How are you, sir? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Doing fantastic today, John Arthur. Glad to have you in the chair of politics. I think his gate is up there, uh, Miss Producer. You might want to reduce the threshold. Thank you so much. And then, of course, yours truly sitting in the chair of economics, uh, as often is the case. Let's get into it. I want to get Dr. Flowers take, though, first. For people like me of the male persuasion and, and a lot of others, sometimes contraception can kind of be a bit of a uh, gray box or a black box. You don't necessarily understand everything there is to to understand here but um what are some of the different types of contraceptives mechanically what do they do what what happens when someone goes on quote unquote the pill versus a physical implant dr flower okay so i've got to do about a three hour talk in five minutes okay um so just to sum up the, um, there's natural contraception, which is when the woman um, detects when she's ovulating, and that that's done with temperature and also cervical mucus. This so the the family or the the husband and wife would plan not to have intercourse about seven days around that time, so that to to because sperm lives seven days, so. Um, so that's that would be natural contraception, very quickly summarized. Um, barrier contraception, there's a number of, of those. Um, one, the male is responsible for, and that's the condom. Um, the others are, uh, the other one that's fairly popular, or used to be anyway, is, um, uh, is a diaphragm, which the woman has to put a spermicide in the diaphragm and insert it in the vagina. So um, the children should not be listening to this lecture. Anyway, um, disclaimer. <laughs> um, 
the um, so those are the two most common types of barrier contraception. Hormonal contraception gets into a whole uh, line of different things because it includes oral contraceptives as well as implants as well as um, IUDs. So in all three of those can contain uh, mostly a progesterone that is designed to uh, prevent ovulation. The birth control pill has an estrogen type of chemical and a progesterone type of chemical. And that's supposed to ideally is designed to prevent ovulation. Um, The truth is, is that it doesn't always do that. Um, So you can't, so that's why, that's one of the reasons that women get pregnant on the birth control pill. The birth control pill has to be taken every day. Um, And so, uh, and then they've been designed for a long time. It was just 21 days and then you'd stop for seven and then start again at 21. And that was really hard for people to remember. So they started adding like a sugar pill or an iron pill for those seven days to be off the, the hormones and then start again so that the woman would have a period every cycle. There's another one that um, that you take for three months, just straight, and have no menses, and then and then have a menses. So it's fairly safe physiologically if somebody has if a woman has a menses every three months, that's still safe um, medically. Um, the uh, the problem with the birth control pill that if if somebody would actually read the package insert. The doctors usually don't say anything to the woman about the fact that it can increase the risk of breast cancer. And so in someone, especially that has a family history of breast cancer, they probably shouldn't take hormonal contraceptives, um, especially the birth control pill. The other problem that's um, worse with the birth control pill, although some of the oral birth control pills are just progesterone, if you just have the progesterone component, you're not as at much risk for blood clots. But with both, it's even higher. Um, women who smoke, because they already have a higher risk of um, blood clots, at a higher risk when if they use a, a contraception, uh, a hormonal contraceptive. Um, the uh, the implants that are put, the most common one is the. I think it may be the only one that's available right now is Norplant, and um, that's put into the skin under the arm. So it's a it's a medical procedure that and then it lasts for three years and then has to be removed. And then if they someone wants it again, it has to be redone. The um, and then there are IUDs. Um, That's an intrauterine device is what IUD stands for. Um, The intrauterine device works a little differently. Um, You can have one that has a hormone in it that actually prevents the lining of the uterus from building up so that so that it would not be um, very good to receive a, an embryo. So the embryo just would pass. Um, it also affects the cervical mucus just like, and that that's the same for the oral contraceptives. And um, it, it just, uh, it, one is a mechanical one, and the hormonal ones prevent the lining from building up. So l- let me just ask you a quick question. Okay. So just for the audience members who didn't catch that, you said embryo. You're not talking about preventing a sperm and an egg from meeting. 
you're talking about an embryo, not implanting. Right. Okay. So, so an IUD is is a little bit different. Um, the the ones that have the hormones um, do tend to prevent the ovulation, so you would ha- be less likely to to have um, fertilization. But um, but it, the IUD is does prevent the implantation. In most cases, there have been cases of babies born with IUDs in their hands. So that's not 100% either. Um, the only 100, 100% form of contraception that I know of is abstinence. So let's go ahead and break all of that down because there's a huge amount that we just we just put out there. Like you said, two hours and five minutes. Thank you for bearing <laughs> with us. There's, there's like a lot there. But what I understand from that is that there are hormonal preventives however some of those can potentially deny implantation for a human life in the uterine wall iud's by nature do this and stop me if i'm wrong so there's a risk with some of these that we could actually be in the process of abortion in some cases is that is that what i'm understanding correct which is which is one of the arguments against even oral contraceptives is the concern that that at times you may be um, causing a, um, a very early abortion and not knowing it, of course. Um, so that's one of the arguments. Some, some scientists really argue against that and say, oh, that never happens. Um, or that, um, again, that it's rare. Um, so... Uh, morally, some folks, uh, in, especially the Catholic Church, that's why they um, don't agree with oral contraceptives or IUDs. Um, the a, co- a couple of other problems is that the um, the oral contraceptives do make the cervix more prone to uh, infection, so there's uh, increased risk um, for uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia on the birth control pill, um, which a lot of people, and so that we haven't even gotten into that because none of these except for um, condoms and possibly a little bit, the diaphragms um, do anything to prevent um, uh, sexually transmitted disease, and um, which is one of the problems that especially developed after contraceptions were, were was available. There's more um, STIs. And believe it or not, people still die from sexually transmitted diseases, even in this day and age. So let's go ahead and start to break this down by the chairs, because there is a ton of information. I know, Chair of Theology, you've got some questions for Dr. Flower. I'd, I'd like you to start off with some of the telos and the purpose, and just from your chair. Well, I guess what I would be... Uh addressing here as as a christian is the the purpose to prevent um, a birth of a child for a christian and and you know everybody has their own reasons um but i i guess i would ask you more in a sense of um, your opinion about a couple coming to a point and saying okay i think we're done i think we've we've our quiver's full now and we're going to stop having children. I, I, what do you see 
is that a contradiction for any biblical purpose that you see? So I think it's, it's, um, it could be argued that um, we're told to be fruitful and multiply. So um, the fact that we're, sometimes the fact that you're able to do something doesn't necessarily make it something that you should do. Um, but, um, of course, in again, in this day and age, um, something like permanent sterilization, whether it's the male or the female, that the woman could have her tube side or the, the man could have a vasectomy, um, that may be something that's reasonable, especially um, if they're getting older, and the, which increases the risk of um, not, a, not just um, Down syndrome, but multiple births. Um, that might be something that um, would be at least a, a consideration in the sense that when you have permanent sterilization, you're not causing an abortion. Right. So it, it's, um, you know, you have to weigh those things. But I, it, but biblically speaking, I don't know. So now I know that the verse, you know, man, a wise man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. So if, you know, as a woman has multiple births, they the uh, chances for there to be more problems increases with every birth. Is that correct? Mm. After like six or seven children. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. It's called a grand multipara after six. Yeah. And so in that case, when a, a woman is looking physically, like this might be coming to a point where it's a good idea I maybe need to take precaution to have any more children. In, in in old times, you know, before birth control, when a woman got to that point, what was the only option that the, her and her husband had? It would have been um, natural birth control. Um, so, so contraception, though, has been around for thousands of years. So it's right. not really anything new. Um, it was just done in practiced in different ways they didn't have the hormones and they didn't have iud's although they used um sort of like iud's in camels i know that so that's uh, wild so they knew about it so um and that was putting a rock in the yeah they would put a rock in the yeah a rock in the uterus yeah so i mean the, the iud type of thing was known for a long time at least in animals um i don't know if they ever tried it in humans but um but so birth control pill has been a long, uh, the birth control itself has been around for a long time. So it's not really anything new. Permanent birth control is relatively new. Right, right. So I guess I just would, I, I know it's a very controversial subject within the religious community. And I'm not sure, and maybe, I'm not sure there's a very clear directive biblically for each for everybody to do the same go to the same path Mm -hmm. so so i just want to add in something on that chair what chances or percentage you you've already said we don't know but is there any estimate or ballpark on how many where's where does the probability go up that if you're on the hormonal or the iud um that you are actually you are actually committing a, an aborted procedure on a somewhat regular basis. What, what what are the chances of that? One percent, two percent. 
I I don't know a percentage. The the IUD would be the um, the main one, so that'd be probably you know something like ninety percent. With the birth control pill, it's um, it would be different because if you actually are preventing ovulation, which can be argued that you're not, um, then then it would be less. The um, some of the birth control pills actually tend to increase um, ovulation and that, yes. And, um, I don't know which ones those are. Um, but they tend to, um, so the one of the arguments is that, that the, um, the abortion clinics prescribe those so that they can do more abortions. The other thing that we haven't mentioned is that in our culture for a long time and probably will continue, um, abortion has been used for birth control. Infanta said, actually, uh, the the cult of Moloch was in a lot of ways that way. You were sending your kids to the fire so that you didn't have to deal with them. And um, but that's a that's a whole different topic. That this feathers really well into the chair philosophy. I want to get. I know you've got some questions there, Josh. The chair philosophy. Go ahead and pose some questions to her. Yeah, and I just wanted to say that this is one of those topics that I am woefully uninformed on. And so this podcast is a great uh, introduction for me. And just hearing your responses have already been a great asset to my my knowledge on this subject. Because prior to this, my, my only knowledge was really birth control pill and prophylactics. And so this has been really, really informative. But I do have some questions for you, Dr. Flower, singular. <laughs> But I'm not single. No, 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 not at all, not at all. So when we look at what Miss Nikki said, where, you know, we're, we're called to be fruitful and multiply, but there's comes a point potentially where it becomes a health risk after six for the woman. It can be a, it can be a challenging ordeal, this topic. Um, but as it pertains to contraception, does it always work? No, it absolutely does not always work. So uh, especially barrier contraception, and I didn't mention things like spermicides, or I briefly did. But so there's a, there's are things used to just kill the sperm. But um, but anyway, um, yeah, that's the that's the deal. Is that um, it can have it has a failure rate. They all do, and um, Hence, abortion was, you know, came into uh, being used for birth control. The the other one is um, the morning after pill, which is just very, very high um, birth control pills, actually. And what what they do is prevent implantation. So um, and but there's an argument there when you look at the. So think about this. When the chances of a um, of the sperm and egg meeting and then becoming a human being are something like one and be, and you know being born all that healthy is like one in twenty billion. So if you if you think about it like that and you understand that the chances of a full term pregnancy are that slim then that puts it so much in the realm of God's hands, whether or not somebody is born, 
um, think about examples in the Bible. I can't re- I think it was Hagar that it was either Hagar or Tamar. I can't remember which one that um, she, her husband died. And then um, she, so then the son, the, 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 the brother was supposed, who was it? It was, it was Tamar. It was Tamar. Yeah. So then, so then, you know, the, the, um, the, the brothers kept on, excuse me, um, doing a form of contraception, which was to spill the sperm outside of the woman and they all died. So, and then, so, I mean, and then, and then we managed to have, um, her father-in-law, you know, impregnates her. And that, and and that she's in the line of Christ. So you know, it's like God has a plan, and we have our plans, and our plans don't always succeed, but His plan does. And and you're so on the money. By the way, passage that she's referencing Genesis 38. If you wanna, if you wanna go there, I didn't even think about that. That is such a that's you're so right there. That is a great passage. And I think what you just answered there on the back end was going to be my next question. It was, what is the purpose of procreation? And when you were talking about the legacy that you leave, that's something that they don't tell you when when you take the contraception. That's something that they won't tell you when you get that abortive procedure, is the fact that not only do you have this beautiful gift of this child, but you also are going to be leaving a legacy through this child. And it, and it's a lot of responsibility, but it's worth it. And I think the Lord tells us it's worth it. And so that was awesome. I, I didn't even think about that. Genesis, that's, that's a great. That's awesome. so, Can I interject real quick here? To, go ahead. Just to build on what he was saying is um, in Genesis, we're talking about raising up seed for your brother and, and they didn't want to do that. But, I think there's the question of why you don't want to have children. I mean, is it, I don't want any children or I don't want any more children. And I think that's a really, uh, I think it's controversial, number one. But I think it's important. An important question is um, we're done having children or I want a break between this child and that child. Or I just never want any kids. So, you know, there's a lot going on here. And a lot of things you can't address in one hour. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, uh, I think one of the things we talked about last time with abortion was the the economics related to it. Uh, I, I remember that. And so that might be one of the p- things that scares people a lot is like, oh, you know, if I have this many children, it's going to be really economically a burden. But then, like I said, go go listen to the last podcast. Dr. Flower, I think, answers that question very well. And we'll, 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 we'll definitely hit on that today because there's a tail end issue with that that people don't realize. But do you have any other questions, chair of philosophy, or should I shift to the chair of culture? I say let's shift to the chair of culture. Let's go to I the think chair of culture. I, I, I'd be real. I think Dr. Flower answered that question beautifully. I think she did. So, chair of culture, Melissa, I know you've got questions. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so what happens to the culture when people are free from the product of procreation uh, with children via contraception? Well, um, you know, the, the, there's another way to to um, to think about that, and that is um, if. If the and it covers all of the things that we've been talking for this podcast and the the other one that I was I did on um, abortion abortion <laughs> it's early um, <laughs> in the morning yeah. um, and that is um, if 
everyone practice the, I'm just going to say, the sexual morality of Jesus Christ, what would the world look like? Not just what he practiced himself, but also what he preached. So, um, of course, he practiced abstinence and did not get married um, because that would have raised a lot of other theological questions if that, if he had done that. But um, but then he also preached about being married to one wife, right, and to not have sexual intercourse before marriage. So think about that. Um, I'm just trying to get around to your to answer. It's hard. This is a hard question to answer, but it's just that um, we would have no fatherlessness, right? Technically, Amen. I mean, um, we wouldn't have, there wouldn't be um, the, the question of a single mom raising a, a child, except if something had happened to her husband. Um, so that would be a lot less. Um, none of these, is, the abortion wouldn't be, probably wouldn't be an issue. It could have been, but generally not. Um, so there's just a whole lot of issues. And then, and then the, the men and women that would theoretically be raised in a family, you know, would leave a better legacy than raised without a, an intact family. So our culture has changed our thinking and our ability to, uh, to raise children and about children, whereas in some cases children are just um, worshipped in a sense. You know, someone has a child and they give them everything. And, but then sometimes they say, well, I don't want to have any more because I've given everything I have to this one. Um, so it's, and then on the other hand, they're an inconvenience. So it's a very, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to, to put your, uh, finger on what the answer to that is, because it's, it's a very broad, um, very broad question in a sense. So I've got one thing to jump in, if I may, on the chair culture, because you had back in the 1920s and 30s, all the way up until we started to see more contraception, 40s, et cetera, we saw a lot of, and again, I don't have the stat in front of me, but you saw a lot of eight-month babies. Before contraception was widely available, you saw a lot of babies that showed up eight months into the marriage. Oh, <laughs> We call these shotgun weddings because if you do the crime, you have to do the time. And so I, I, I just want to push this back over to you ladies to, to discuss in just a moment. But you look at that culture where at least where there was sin, there was a chance for a whole family unit. Now you have, and, and by the way, the, on the cultural note, just the hilarious stuff I've seen about women writing up contracts about the man supporting the child and doing whatever if they, if, if they have sex and they somehow are not able to abort the child. It, we, we have a contract for that, ladies. It's called marriage. It's called marriage. We, that's been invented. <clears throat> but there's a lot of people on the left who are starting to say, oh, if, if I can't prevent a pregnancy this guy has to be has to be responsible i'm going to shove that back over to y'all what are y'all y'all's thoughts on that because again y'all are both of the fairer sex what should men be doing in the culture 
as far as taking responsibility? What have we seen a lack of since the contraception? Well, lack of commitment. So um, the a guy can um, have sex whenever he wants, theoretically, and the way our culture is do- dealing with that right now is um, the woman has to really fight to to get that the father of the child um, to be responsible for that child, whereas that's not a big issue when they're married. The other it, the other cool thing, though, I don't know how many y'all probably know couples where the the woman has become pregnant by someone, someone else marries her, and even I've even known where they've married her when she's pregnant and and raise that child as their own or mm-hmm. adopt or or after birth adopt the child. So we've got kind of a dual thing happening in our culture. It's more common though for the for the male to just not be responsible. Quite funny when um which is you're saying is right when a woman becomes pregnant and she fights for an unmarried woman fights for the financial support of the man but the man has no say in the abortion. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And some men are really um, coming, complaining about that. When, uh, when in fact, um, I think I mentioned last time, when um, my daughter was in college, um, the guy that she sat next to in one of her classes committed suicide when he found out that his girlfriend had had the, an abortion. Mm-hmm. So men, you know, we kind of... Don't let them enter into that, and it should be. Men need to be allowed to. There have been men that have gone to abortion clinics trying to get their girlfriend not to have the abortion. So um, this this notion, my body, my choice, is not. It's not only the woman involved in this in becoming pregnant. She can't do it by herself. That's right. That's right. So kind of on that lines of my body, my choice, so does my body, my choice also apply to contraceptive where, you know, as a woman, I might want to take it, but a guy that I'm, you know, potentially could be marrying, he could say, no, you're off of it. So does that, it, 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 you know, the guy wants that, my, wants that choice for the baby, but does he also have that choice for contraception as well? So, um... I think it would be harder to justify that outside of marriage. Um, within marriage, you would think that the the father would have just as much um, say as the woman, um, but that's not always the case. And it could also work the, the opposite way, that the guy wants the woman to yes. be on it, and the woman does not. Yes, so that, that does happen. Yeah. And, uh, the you know, that's... Um, that's a di- so see some of these uh, dilemmas that we have now are related because are occur because of what we can do. You know this wasn't always the case, and so because we can, you know, right. do some of these things, um, then it becomes it can become a dilemma. It was never part of the conversation years right. ago. Right. So, if the chair of culture has asked. You know, all the questions on the list. I want to make sure I give you a chance. If you've got everything there, I'm going to move over to the chair of politics. So I know that you have some questions about entitlements regarding this. Yes, I do. 
Now, entitlements for contraception have been proposed by some on the left. How should the Christian articulate a response to this? Um, actually, it's already pretty much in existence um, because of the free clinics that are available. Um, so, um, and then there's like even in Texas, we have Medicaid that's just women's health. So um, we already um, provide uh, an avenue for women to get that as part of their health care if they want to have contraceptives. And, and not only uh, oral contraceptives, but also IUDs and um, uh, the, the shot, the progesterone shot or the, or the implant. So it's essentially already available. So that, that, that kind of goes in the face of the whole Hobby Lobby bit that happened, what, it was 2014, 2015 with Obamacare? Or was it 2013? I, I, oh, as far as insurance goes? As far as insurance and providing contraceptives and insurance. So one of the deals with Obamacare is that men were also paying for that and also paying for being pregnant. So that was one of the issues with that. Plus, if you, you know, if you have a moral objection to, um, to providing that kind of care, um, it isn't saying that, again, in our culture, it's not saying that it's totally unavailable. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it is, um, I don't know that it was really looked into that deeply with, uh, with so women who are, um, who can afford medical care can get contraception, and if they can't, then there's already provision for them in, in general. Now, I know we <clears throat> mentioned the effects of some of the um, oral contraceptives on those that have a history of, say, like breast cancer. Right. And But let's say women who don't necessarily have that kind of history or may have histories of other things, what are the kinds of long-term effects, like women who might start, you know, younger, say, like when they're teens and go on into their 30s taking oral contraceptives, you know, like maybe 20 years or so, and they're taking these? Um, so some of the concern would be um, some of them then discover that they can't become pregnant. So there is a concern of decreased fertility um, when you use um, contraception, uh, hormonal contraception for a long time. And there can be complications oh. for even an IUD. With an IUD, you have a little bit increased risk of um, sexually transmitted disease, which again, if you're on oral contraceptives, you're not being protected for that. From that, so um, the uh, many of the STIs um, affect fertility, can cause damage to the to to the womb and mostly to the tubes, so that the they're blocked and then the woman cannot become pregnant. So someone who's on like oral contraceptives for a long time could actually be decreasing their fertility, among other things. Well, let's say uh, informed consent is it really being obtained by all? it so not really <laughs> so it's just you know uh 
that's usually just basically seen as a uh, as either a medical procedure for an insertion of an IUD or uh, or prescribing a medication. So um, it's just um, all of the side effects of these things are not usually talked about. So uh, I uh, so in my I can tell you what I did in my private practice. In my private practice, um, I don't think I was really aware of the bre- breast cancer part of birth control pill until someone called my attention to it. But um, I would not prescribe birth control pills to unmarried people. Um, even had an issue one time with somebody from the hospital where I was working, a couple that wanted me to, you know, prescribe birth control pills and they weren't married. And I'm like, sorry, but I can't see you for that. Um, so that was hard. Um, but, um, so I did prescribe them to married couples. Um, I didn't do IUDs because of the, um, I, I did probably in residency because I didn't know that much about it, um, and learned how to do it, how to put those in, but, um, didn't do it after I was in practice because of the understanding of the uh, potential for causing a, an abortion, and also from the in re- increased risk of infection. Um, so I think that's... Now, I might be stepping on the toes of the, <laughs> the culture chair here, but um, I know that there are times when a mother might prescribe it for, say, like a teenager to control their period for younger women. Is, is that like really a good idea? So, um, actually, um, I will do that if it's, um, if there's not another way to deal with it. Um, but usually only temporarily, not as a continuous, um, thing. So for a few months, you know, the exposure to the hormones is, is certainly not as bad or not as, uh, doesn't cause as many complications if you're just doing it for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would, I had mothers coming in wanting me to prescribe the birth control pill for their daughters to keep them from, from, from getting pregnant. And I'm, and I would go in and talk to the daughter and the daughter's like, I don't even have a boyfriend. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I would talk to the mom about how she's saying to her daughter, I don't trust you. Um, so I can see why they, you know, I can see the dilemma there. Um, but again, um, because of the, the risks and because of that notion of saying that you don't trust the daughter, um, I think that interferes in the relationship rather than helping it. So, um, Mm -hmm. so I think that, so the, you know, the thing that might come out of this, uh, in some, um, states at least, in the, with the re- reversal of Roe versus Wade, is that, you know, we're, we may see more use of contraceptives. We may see more abstinence. Um, we, we're definitely seeing more vasectomies, which scares me because of the STIs. You know, and uh, even the medical societies are not, they are not convinced that people can abstain from sex before marriage. It just is sickening. And I, but I see patients that have not, had sex. Absolutely. You know, I see both. So, um, it still happens. <laughs> well, 28 year old virgin speaking here and you know, <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. 
it's okay. It's okay to be a 28-year-old virgin uh, waiting for the right person. It is possible. Is it is it easy, quote-unquote? I don't know. It, it, as long as you're not going to those parties doing those things, it seems like it it's easier than it could could have been, right? So you, you, you have to sort of decide who you're affiliating with. But more importantly, you've got to keep your eye on what is that for, right? And that goes to the chair of philosophy is people need to understand that procreation does two things. It bonds you, right, to the other person. There's a hormonal chemical release, and you're permanently attached to that person. And people who are living in hookup culture, you have 10, 100, however many permanent chemical bonds in your brain. Wouldn't it be nice to just have one or two or, 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 or not, not 20? Wouldn't it be nice to limit that down a little bit? Just, just a thought for you to consider. If the chair of politics has, uh, has gotten their, their say in. Well, yeah. To a degree. To a degree. <laughs> to a degree. To a degree. You know, if you've got anything else a, you a want to drop. A lot of what you're talking about has a, 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 has a lot, lot of good basis, John Arthur, because, you know, in life, everything, a lot of decisions have a lot to do with who you hang with, who you run around with. That's true. And that has a lot to, to influence in your life decisions because – those people can help influence the things and the decisions that you make in your life because, and, you know, people that are making bad decisions can influence you in making bad decisions. And those that make good decisions in, in their lives can help you make good decisions in your life. And boy, I'll tell you, this is coming from someone who has made a lot of bad decisions and has hung around the wrong people growing up in their life. So I know that you said abstinence is the best contraception. Do you want to respond a little bit to what Mr. Steve was just saying? Um, so, yeah, I was thinking about also in the, in the context of being a Christian, though, that you're— um, if you're if you're going to church and you're reading the Bible and you're around people that are trying to honor God and that are trying to practice what Jesus practiced, um, not only are you going to be you're you're going to be more satisfied and happier. Now that doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. That doesn't mean there's no mistakes that are going to be made. Um, but God has a way of of redeeming those even when we fail. Amen. So I. Um, yeah, I agree with with uh, with what you said about um, being in the right place really makes a big difference. Amen. And just to wrap up our time here, we we do need to get going. We're getting close. I want to come from the chair of economics last round here. One of the things that people talk about when they talk about abortion and contraceptives is the financial burden that a child places on the parent. But there. I would suggest that that's actually a backwards way of looking at it because what do we see with the generation that had the most access to contraceptives? What's happening to the boomer generation as far as the tax structure, the people who were, who should have been there to support mom and dad, you have a lot of boomers dying alone and in poverty, whereas just a hundred 
150 years ago, it was expected that one of the kids would take mom and dad into their home and care for them in their old age. We've seen that kind of a shift. Is there a lack of value being placed on the family? And then also, I know you can unpack this in in, in this large load of question here. Does the idea of contraceptives potentially decrease the value of human life, or at least the human experience? I know our Catholic brothers and sisters would, would, would absolutely jump on that. There's a time and a place, right, for, for, for everything. And I would even say sometimes there's a time and place for contraceptives. But not having children has a long-term effect on you, doesn't it? I think that our culture is much, yes, uh, I think that our culture is so focused on um, having a good time now that they tend not to look at, like you were talking about legacy before, they tend not to look at that. You know, it's always, how can I be happy now? Um, the The future is hard to um, imagine for everybody. Um, so uh, I can say that, um, so I have four children and seven get grandchildren and one, Whoop. another one soon. So, um, uh, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing and it's, it's, uh, but I can't, I, you know, when I got married, I didn't know how many kids I would have. I didn't know, um, what they would be like, (laughs) you know, none of us knows this. Um, but, but yeah, the, um, when you start saying that, uh, using contraception without much thought to to the ultimate effects, especially um, outside of marriage, then I think you do devalue um, human life. You develop, de- devalue our dignity. Um, you devalue the sacredness that we know is there. And so I think um, knowing that God values us, being made in his image is... Um, is just something that it's hard to even comprehend, but um, but he thinks we're special, and and I guess we we just see the now and tend to be very materialistic about it, and so that's the that's the thing that that fights against um, you know the 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 temporal and the supernatural are always you know kind In of conflict. fighting yeah yeah. Indeed. So make sure that your eyes are set heavenward and towards eternity and not necessarily on the now. I'm not going to say that that someone shouldn't be, you know, using contraceptives. There's a time and a place, but understand what understand what's happening and understand what you're doing and what you could be doing with certain certain means and methods and how dangerous some of them are. So I want to get everyone's last takeaway walking around the room. I want to get the chair of theology starting off with you. I'm sure you've got some thoughts just to close out the day. I think it is a very controversial uh, topic. I've, you know, my husband and I, we've made our decision. I have a very clear conscience about the decision we made. I mean, it wasn't an easy one. It was done in prayer. It was seeking, you know, the will of the Lord, and I think we made the decision that God led us to make. And, and you know, we have five kids. We have 
10 grandchildren. I mean, we are fruitful. <laughs> That's good. It's you made a choice and you and you prayed about it and you certainly didn't leave this earth without a full quiver. And I will tell you something, you know, Charlie and I got married at 18 and 19. We never based having children on our financial uh, means because we always felt that the Lord would provide. That was never included in the decision. In the words of the infamous Tucker Carlson, uh, men, go get a job that you're not qualified for, get married, have lots of kids, and it'll work out. <laughs> I mean, it, I'll, I'll quote yeah. him there. He's right. Moving over to the chair of philosophy. Grab that mic. Pull it over to you. Yep. So I was just going to say, <clears throat> with the people who are considering contraception, uh, may I suggest that instead of being reactionary and going with these contraceptive options. I think what Dr. Flower has presented is the by far the superior option and that is abstinence and may still maintaining purity, especially if you're not married. If you're not married, purity is always going to be the best way. And so don't be reactionary, be preventative. Absolutely. Melissa I guess like for me, um, we're not uh, not going to open up the can of worms on my former life, but it has, you know, what you're talking about and all the health implications that can happen, you know, if you do, you know, contraceptive and go down that line, it's really opened my eyes on, you know, as far as living a healthy life, what that can actually do to you. Something people need to know. Yes. Um, Mr. Steve. I'm on, I've got two children of my own. Uh, in my second marriage, I married a woman that has five children. I've currently got 17 grandchildren, one great-grandchild. I would say that, like Miss Nikki pointed out, my quiver is quite full, and chances are... Uh, it's going to get fuller. <laughs> and it's a joyous thing. It's a, it, it's a wonderful it thing. It is so that, wonderful. That is our, when you look at your family as your wealth, not your finances, it makes a whole difference in life. And I'll tell you, when the holidays are about Christmas, it is, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Having them all around, oh, my gosh, it is just, it's a fine time. Everybody around enjoying and eating and just it uh, oh oh now children are a joy children are a joy they're not they're not an inconvenience as long as you're loving them that includes discipline and grandchildren are (laughs) better yet (laughs) (laughs) but good disciplined children are a blessing by the way i I know some of dr flowers grandchildren actually I've, I've, i've met i think i think all of them so up to date, up to date, subject to change. Uh, all of them joys, all of them joys. And I'm just going to say something. Don't make a mistake right now based on economics and end up old and alone and without a posterity to take care of you. That's not what kids are for, but I'm saying that is a blessing that kids give you. And Dr. Flower, I want to give you the final word of the day before we close out. Uh, what would you say to folks who are considering contraceptives in an unmarried situation, and then also in a married? 
So the the only contraceptive I would recommend if you're not married is abstinence. By the way, that is still what we're teaching in Texas schools. I was even on one of the curriculum committees. So um, the uh, a contraception in marriage is uh, is an individual choice that you're going to have to pray about and decide what the best um, thing is for you and your your spouse, and that's how it should be because. That's um, how you make uh, healthy decisions and ones that, that are God-honoring. And when, when we honor God with our decisions, um, then I, I believe he blesses us. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being on the show again. We really appreciate it. It's Thank been you. Lovely. enjoyed it. With that said, if you enjoyed this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe. We are still on the podcast. Those of you who are uh, hopping over to YouTube, we are on YouTube. For those of you who are still listening to the audio only, uh, we are branching out. Thank you so much for your listenership and your viewership. Uh, make sure that uh, if you didn't like this podcast, smash that dislike <laughs> button twice. And uh, go ahead and leave an angry comment. It does help with the algorithm. <laughs> Love y'all so much. Thank you so much. Bye. See you guys. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. Last thing. Last yes. thing. Going around the room. Your favorite thing about children. About half of us in here have had children and the other half have not. Still, uh, I spent a lot of time around kids. I, you know, and I, I think y'all have too. Uh, what is your favorite thing about having kids in the house? And then your least favorite. well that was always my 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 dream was always to be a mother so I've always loved being a mother and taking care of my children it was very fulfilling that's what people don't understand there's an internal fulfilling thing that God gives you I think my favorite thing about children is just their learnability their learnability there's something special about pouring into a child I guess like with, I don't have a kid, but helping like with the preschool at the church, um, whenever they they get to know you and they look at you with those eyes like pick me up, love me, you know, just have that look of, you know, just I don't. It's hard to explain the, the look that they give you. It's an image of how Christ looks yeah. at us, how God looks at us. But then on the flip side, when they're crying and screaming their heads off, you know, that's a totally <laughs> other story. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So the least fun is probably the fighting among themselves. <laughs> and uh, the most fun is just um, their laughter and their trust of of mom or grandmom. Um, just the innocence that, they, that they're sharing and that innocent love that they give. I would guess uh, one of the least favorite things was, like Dr. Flower said, was... Uh, the arguing and the fighting uh, when we would have all seven of them together. Oh, my goodness. And one thing I would add on the least favorite thing was when the girls got to be teenagers and started to date. Oh, my gosh, that was such a scary thing. And my favorite thing was when they got older and they got point to where they were all like eating like animals i love to cook okay and i would cook so much food 
It didn't matter how much I cooked. They ate it all, man. <laughs> there would never be any around for me and my wife to eat. It was like she'd go, I thought you cooked extra. I did. I cooked extra, but it's like, like, like eat it all. <laughs> they all gone, man. That's some good stuff. My favorite part is spending one-on-one time and teaching and watching them learn. Kind of what Josh was alluding to. I love working with kids, and I love watching them discover and learn. It's such a cool event. My least favorite moment of having kids in the house is the silence. And for those of you who have kids, you know what I mean. It's loud, and then all of a sudden, it's silent. And you go, what just broke? <laughs> so, what are they or, doing now? Or, or who's heard? What are they doing now? What's going on? With that said, tell us in the comment section down below if you're still here, uh, what is your favorite part of having kids in the house and your least favorite part? We love you all so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye. 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 Bye.